Hi, I'm Lyndon Rachenka, creator, uh, writer, letterer of The Laundryman. You can find the Kickstarter for The Laundryman right now at laundryman.ca. And you can find our website at infinitestudio.ca where you can get yourself a free comic. And you are listening to Two Geeks Talking. Hi, I'm Stephen Call. I'm one of the creators and the illustrator of The Laundryman, a book that you can lock down right now at www.laundryman.ca. And if you want to check out our work for free, you head over to infinitestudio.ca where you can get our book, When I Get Home. And you're watching and listening to Two Geeks Talking. Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. Two Geeks Talking is an entertainment industry interview show where we interview the creative people from the comic, film, TV, movie, and video game industries. And of course, I'm your host, Kurt Sasso. We're joined today by not one, but two very talented individuals. They are comic creators in their own right. One's a writer, one's an artist. I got to see their current Kickstarter campaign comic, which is called The Laundryman. And it is truly not only a terrifying experience, but it is well-written and beautifully drawn as well, too. We're joined by the ever-talented Lyndon Rachenka. Stephen Call, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, actually. Thanks for having us on here, Kurt. Yeah, I'm doing really well also. Thank you so much, Kurt. I've been looking forward to this conversation you know, the last couple of weeks, so I'm, I'm excited to, to hop in. For those that don't know anything about yourselves as creative people, tell us who you are and what you're bringing to Two Geeks Talking. So my name is Lyndon Rachenka. I'm a writer of The Laundryman, amongst other comics. I'm also a comics letterer. I've been lettering and writing for the last four years or so. I'm really looking forward to the success of our Laundryman campaign and working with the fine artist Stephen Call, who's here alongside me. I'm Stephen Call. I'm a comic artist, comic illustrator. I do all three disciplines, penciling, inking, and color. I've been at this specifically in comics since about 2017. But I've been drawing my entire life. I've done many things art-wise. So, but I'm happy to be here making comics now. So then what is The Laundryman all about? Laundryman is the story of Brian and Wade who work out of their laundromat solving supernatural crimes and mysteries. And something that Stephen and I always like to say when introducing the series to new people for the first time is that it really feels like this mix of Ghostbusters with some X-Files and sort of a touch of Supernatural in it. We really found that those were our touchstones that inspired us when we first started out on the series. Then what's the most misunderstood aspect about the Supernatural slash horror genre that maybe people who don't follow it aren't aware of? I would say for me, the most misunderstood aspect just from creating the laundromat and doing the work that we're doing is that it has to be about the monsters. Our people expect it to be about the monsters, but it is really about your characters and the relationships between those characters and how they react to the things that they're dealing with. It, it, it's more about the fear, the emotion that these characters go through with the monster really being the source of that or the personification of it. That's a great answer. And I completely agree with Steven. I think that when we talk about genre genre fiction, like horror, there's so much attention that's given to the monster. And obviously the monster is super important, but it's equally important that the characters driving your series, your leads are equally developed and to help carry the story through that monster and subsequent monsters. And now I have to ask, what are some of your favorite monsters and which are your least favorites? It is, a, it is a really tough question. Favorites and least favorites. I mean, I grew up through the vampire boom and then the zombie boom. And I feel like we've seen so many takes on that in the past that it's really hard to find something that feels super fresh. That said, I do really like vampires. I just wish I had something new to say about them. It's sort of a hard line to draw between the two of them. For me, it's more of a category of monster, which it's a broad category and it covers a 
lot of monsters out there. Quick anecdote. I could never be a doctor because I don't deal with the trauma stuff very well. Like subconsciously, my brain goes, oh, this could be happening to you. Stuff that really gets me is monsters that change. You know, werewolves are pretty conventional, but zombies, body snatchers, but it's not really the monster itself, but it's the fact that it could happen to you. It could happen to anybody. It's not some special supernatural came out of the nth dimension thing. It just happened. The creative process is an interesting experience, not only from a writing perspective, but also from an artistic perspective. But what is the hardest part about being creative, especially for the Laundryman series? Was it the beginning, the middle, or the end of your respective processes? I guess if we're looking at Laundryman book one, as the example here, I think it was the end because we really, especially with book one, we really focus on Brian and Wade and how they interact and how they play off each other and establishing throughout the book what trust between them looks like. I read it in the script and I'm like, oh yeah, I totally get it. But like my challenge would be, it's actually showing that trust. I think at the end of the book is when I really have to start doing the subtle facial expressions and body movements that really puts these two in cahoots with each other. You know, The hardest process is the end and really like wrapping things up visually. And for me, I think that the most difficult part for this book is also the most fun, which is looking at the story structure, which includes the end. And it was really important for me telling what is essentially a mystery adventure that we had enough things that weren't completely obvious on the first read through, but were present enough. Once you got to the end of the book, you could see sort of the breadcrumbs laid out from earlier in the story. And then it was really important to me that our story, spoiler alert, doesn't just end with a huge monster fight because that's not necessarily what this book is about. It's not just the two guys taking down the monster. There's a deeper element to that. And it was really important to me to nail that ending in as good a fashion as we could. So I'm really proud of how the book ends. I really hope that it is something that when readers have a chance to look at, they go, that's not a standard splashy, quote unquote, Hollywood ending. There's a personal element to it too. Collaborations are always fun, and you both have worked extremely well together, especially with this first issue, and I can't wait to see in the future as well, too. So, Lyndon, when you're writing this comic itself, what was the scene that you got back from Stephen where the artwork was better than what you had written down on the page? And then for you, Stephen, the question is, when you first read this script, what was the first image that popped into your mind that made you excited about creating this issue? I have a few moments from the book that struck me. The first is actually super early. It's the first three pages serve as a cold open, tell the reader what this story is about. The composition that Stephen came up with is infinitely better than what I had written in the script. The way I had described the panels were all sort of a jumbled mess. And Stephen went in and he figured out a way to compose the page so that the eye flows a lot more clearly than I may have outlined at the beginning. So that was something that struck me right away. Any of the scenes where the characters are driving in their car and just having it's a talking head scene, essentially, but Stephen finds a way to make all of the conversation scenes so vivid and lifelike. My favorite scene in the book is actually probably the diner scene towards the middle of the book. There's just something that's so human about it. I was blown away when I first saw. We love the monster shots and the action shots, but this book really rests on even being able to convey the slower moments, the humane moments. I feel so lucky to see how that they, how they turned out. Similar, maybe two moments that really stand out. One is a, it's a very fast paced scene. The way Lyndon wrote it, 
it. I was reading it and I'm like, I have to try to indicate what works out to be like a strobing light. Like these guys are, this doesn't spoil anything. They're running through a cave. They're doing their best to find light and they don't know what or if they're running from anything. So I wanted to create that like unknown amount of stress. And like when I read Lyndon's words, it was just like, boom, I know exactly what I'm going to do with this one. And I think with that one, I really surprised Lyndon with the number of panels on the page too. So. <laughs> page has like 16 panels in it or something. Like it's ridiculous, Yeah, but awesome. Yeah. I mean, some of them are just solid black. Yeah. It works though. And then the other one, like Lyndon said, is the slow moments. I really love doing slow moments. I really love like, I'm a big movie watcher and I love Lyndon moments in movies that influences how I do my art. So I really wanted to be able to show facial expressions, show not just what the character's saying, but what they're feeling. For me, I think it's the third last page. Uh, Kurt, if you remember, it's the end of the story but it's before it transitions to a new scene. So like there's like two or three pages at the end that are a completely different scene. It's kind of a wind down page. And there's a lot of moments in the script of that page where Lyndon, well, this happens, this happens, this happens, and we got to show this. All I could picture was like just this jumbled mess because I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. And then it slowly started to come together. So I guess this isn't an instant visual, but it really slowly started to come together and create this really serene page. And then there's one little thing in a panel there where like Lyndon came in at the end. He's like, we need, fire. <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't know how to do that. And then managed just this tiny little bit that just like rounded the page out. This isn't necessarily a spoiler, but what had happened was on that page, the two heroes emerge from the house on the third last page and they walk back to their car together before getting into the car and driving away. It occurred to me while speaking to a friend of ours, that house needs to have smoke billowing out of it to show what has already happened and taken place in that house. So Stephen had to go in post-production, add some smoke coming out, and it's really subtle. And I really think it does add to that almost tranquil nature of the page because you understand looking at that, that all of that action is occurred. We're after that. We're in the next part of the story. Yeah, that fire was actually CG. It was added in post. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll do it in post are the worst phrases you could yeah. have in both video editing <laughs> as well as comics. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was an early experience where you learned that language had power? Probably when I started reading books, I guess. I didn't really like enjoy reading until I was eight or nine years old. And then it was like a switch flipped. And suddenly I was sort of devouring everything I could. And it's cliched, but you learn when you read. It was like my brain was suddenly filling up with new information. That's the magic of reading is the G rated boring answer that I have for that. Uh, I don't really have a moment. I just feel like I hit a certain age. I realized not everybody's advice was important, but then the broader world of advice that you can get opened up to me. You know, in watching movies or watching TV shows or reading comic books, you read these moments in these books that you can go, that's the thing I was trying to figure out in my life. I can apply that in my life. And so I guess it's a bit of a literal answer, but I don't know. There's just a certain age of maturity that I got to where it's like uh, your sages are everywhere, even in entertainment. Reading through this first issue, I definitely had hints of Constantine, uh, Pulp Fiction, and Lethal Weapon as well. It felt like those three series really hit home, at least while I was reading this. That makes me so happy to hear you say that. Um, you can see it in like his when face. We were, you can see it in his face how yeah, happy he is. One way we describe this is like, obviously like Ghostbusters, Supernatural, all that, but with like a heavy dose of black suits and cigarettes. When Lennon and I first started talking about this story, it became important to us. The main character was our main character's relationship. And I likened it to moments in 
pulp fiction like the royale with cheese scene and stuff like that and and the opening scene to reservoir dogs where it's just like almost nothing's happening they're just talking and like you're riveted just listening to these guys just yap about mcdonald's in europe you know yeah and then constantine like brian's basically based on john constantine he's a chain smoker he's probably got lung cancer somewhere long cloak and like major influence there tarantino style films dialogue being the main character and like Lennon writes dialogue he is so good at it luckily we found each other and i'm really good at drawing it and so we get this really good story that reminds people of pulp fiction which both which makes me really happy <laughs> steven is, com- is completely right the the pulp fiction is something that in our subconscious right from the beginning. You could see how much your words meant Stephen when you said that. Watching his reaction is really just the highlight of my day today. Everyone usually asks, what's the wisest piece of advice or what's the most bullshit piece of advice that you've ever received? But what is the second wisest piece of advice that you've received that has stuck with you in your respective careers? Um, It may be the wisest piece of advice, but I'll relegate it it to second for the sake. It doesn't count. It doesn't count if it's the wisest. (laughs) No. Okay. Then because of who it comes from, I'm relegating it to second just because when we were working on our free comic, most free digital comic you can get at www.infinitestudio.ca during 24 hour comics fest in October, one of our local amazing comic artists and writers, Gregory Kamichuk, he was watching me draw and he just said, draw less. And it didn't really change the quality of my art, but I just, there's, you just start like, little details that just keep popping and you're like, oh, I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. And like, you can just keep drawing. Draw less would be a a really great piece of advice for anybody in my career is just so you can move faster and draw less. (laughs) I think the second best piece of advice I've read, if there is something that you want or someone that you admire and you want to achieve what they've achieved, figure out what they did to get there and then just do that stuff. That's the second best because first best is to have belief in yourself. As a person, there was a job interview that I was in. And one of the questions I was asked, if I could be anyone in the world, who would I rather be? I caught them off guard when I told them that my answer was to just be myself. In the creative world where there are no original ideas, the way that you're going to find your own way and stand out is not going to be by copying other people. It's going to be finding who you are, what is important to you and leaning into those things in your creative process and the things that you make. That's how you're going to find your way. Kickstarters are like a second job. Other than getting the campaign funded, which it seems to be doing very well so far. So congratulations on that. What are you doing to not only promote this campaign, but also what other tiers do you have that maybe are different than what you see out there currently? Our Kickstarter campaign started a year before the actual campaign went live. We've been working on The Laundryman for the better part of two years now. And we found that we had finished issue one over a year ago. And we decided that at the beginning of 2022, it's currently 2023, that we would take issue one, print it, bring it to shows with us. Stephen and I like to attend conventions. We printed off 100 copies of The Laundryman in black and white, just the issue one, so 22 pages. And we started taking it to shows with us and telling people that you could buy this issue. It's $5. We're going to be kickstarting the full book eventually. And we would love if you love this book too, to come join us or come find us next year at the show where we'll have the book. We sold out of our 100 copies in three shows. So that was sort of our indication that we needed to really get on it, as it were, and finish the book. Aside from 
the standard prep for a Kickstarter, which includes, you know, reaching out to podcasts, building the social media graphics and assets and planning things out. There is a lot of free campaign groundwork that we put in. As of right now, we our campaign has run for just under 10 days by the time this show Airs, I imagine it will be 10 days later. We're 130 or 140% funded, which is amazing. What we're doing now is we've started to deal with stretch goals. And when Stephen and I first sat down and planned this campaign, I don't know that either of us anticipated that we would need to be worried about stretch goals so soon. It's been a sort of a mad dash over the last week to get the rest of our stretch goals lined up. Something that we've done, and I hope by the time this airs, that our stretch goals have reached the point where this is relevant. One of our next stretch goals at the $6,000 Canadian mark is we're putting together a digital comics bundle. All of our digital backers feel like they're getting a sweet perk like our physical backers hopefully do with the amount of free art we're giving them in that. So our plan for that, we're going to be giving away something like 500 pages of free digital comics to all of our backers once we reach the $6,000 mark from our friends in comics. So we've been reaching out to the circles that we run in and asking all of our friends if they would be interested in contributing some of their own work to our campaign. The goal with that was we want the people who see our campaign, both digital and physical, to say, wow, that's a lot of value for $35 Canadian, which is our digital book plus our digital comics bundle add-on. Those two tiers plus the free digital mega bundle stretch goal tier net you something like 800 pages of digital comics. We really want our campaign to be accessible to everyone because we're Canadian, which means that shipping to the UK and to Europe and to certain parts of the world is really expensive for people. We don't want people to necessarily look at our campaign and be scared off because of that. Running a Kickstarter is a second job. And then having to plan into the future faster than you thought you were going to, it's the whipped cream on top of that second job. I would agree. Running a Kickstarter is like a second job. What I see Lyndon doing every day as the writer and letterer, Lyndon in our group has become the de facto manager. So he ends up doing a lot of this stuff. And so watching what he does on top of what I'm already feeling with what I'm doing, I can't imagine what he's going through full, second full-time job-wise. I've done more social media this month than I probably ever have combined, even during the Dead Work Kickstarter last year. Not to mention, oh, we need that print now? Uh, okay, I'll draw that when I get home from work tonight. Working on, I mean, we have a whole lineup of books that we have to draw right now. So just trying to fit everything in there, it's, it's completely different than anything I'm used to. Do you want to share who some of the comics are that are going to be part of this campaign? With our digital comics stretch goal bundle at $6,000, we're going to be giving away the first three chapters of Krampus is My Boyfriend from local comics maker SM Biko. That's about 212 pages. We're going to have the graphic novel Thread from our friend Zach Schuster. That book was nominated for Best Graphic Novel novel in 2020 for the Sequential Media Awards. That's about 120 pages. Jordan Patrick Finn is going to be including his work Hellcraft, which is a black and white Lovecraftian graphic novel. We have actually an issue of comics that Stephen has been working on with our friend Dr. Jonathan Ball called Dirk Dirksen, First the Demons from Mars. We have two 22-page issues from local comics legend GMB Kamichak, who is including his work Minus Institute and Arena City. I am including 14-page preview 
of another project that I'm working on right now with Christopher Smith called The Eye in the Mist, then we're still currently actually reaching out to other creatives in our circles. So I may be adding to that list, but as of recording, that's what we've got on top of our digital comics bundle, which is an add-on in our campaign. And that includes our first book, Infinite Universe, our second book, What Will Not Last, which is a four comic anthology, the Dead Work anthology that Stephen mentioned, which is currently nominated for Best Anthology in the Sequential Media Awards. So if you are listening to this episode in the month of February, please go and vote for it. And then it includes the 20-page black and white short comic that Stephen and I did for 24-hour comics day when I get home. If, if people don't see the value in this, I don't know where they're looking because this is that's just incredible. You're going to be spending many, many hours into the early morning, you know, reading this stuff. And then you'll be wondering why you're dead ass tired for work the next day. I have to say this was the first moment. I think the first time hearing that Thrud and Arena City were in that list. That's the value like right there. <laughs> like, or just Krampus is my boyfriend. But like this pile of comics is so cool. <laughs> What makes it exciting for you to read comics, even though you're in the industry itself? What what drives you to keep consuming this particular medium? Uh, full honesty, I actually don't read a lot. But when I do, the thing that keeps me consuming, keeps me coming back is the artist first. It's the artist, new artists coming along, doing really cool stuff with existing characters or brand new characters. But it's like anything with a comic. Once you're in there, it's the writer that drags you along and keeps you coming back for the characters. It is just seeing everybody's talent. Like Lennon and I, you get into the independent scene. It's almost like a lock is unlocked and you realize there's this entire world beneath Spider-Man or, or above or wherever you place it. Even if you're just looking at image comics, there's this entire plethora of genres. Genres. I guess it's the unlimited selection that might keep me coming back. I find comics fascinating because like many forms of genre, I love watching other creatives dress up their own personal experiences in these fantastic situations. I have an English degree, so I spend a lot of my time reading you know, literary books. I love and don't discount their value at all. But then you come into the genre world, there's less, not subtlety, but the idea that a creative who's having the same conflicts as we are has found a way to describe and bring to life those conflict in this fantastic setting that has no budget in the way that movies do. And you can really see it come to life on the page. Seeing the different ways that people do that is so exciting to me. And it's why I love the comics makers that we work with and we surround ourselves with and why I love to show off our friend's work, not just Stevens all the time. Steven's work is pretty spectacular as well. Oh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. <laughs> Aggressively medium, for sure. <laughs> but is there anything I haven't touched on you'd like to showcase those that are watching and listening to this interview? I just want to draw attention and let anyone watching know if you are interested in Stephen and I's work, but you're not necessarily in a position to support our Kickstarter, we 100% understand. We would still like to give you something for free. So we have the digital version of When I Get Home, which is the 20 page black and white sci-fi horror comic that Stephen and I did as part of 24-Hour Comics Day, available for free on our website at infinitestudio.ca slash free comic. You can go and get that right now, no strings attached. Everyone has one person that inspired them on their path today. Who was that for you? It's a two-level answer because there are the people who inspire us that work within our circles, and then there are the people that inspire us 
in an aspirational level. So, you know, the industry professionals, one of the most supportive people I had in my local circle that continued to push me and Stephen forward is local comics maker, Gregory Kamichuk. When Stephen and I first said we wanted to make comics, encouraged us and told us, what we needed to do. And when we actually started doing it was infinitely supportive, gave us advice and feedback and told us what to do, how to do things better. And I think both of us are eternally grateful for that. Now he is a colleague of ours. He is actually doing a guest art print for our campaign at the $8,000 mark. So if we can blow past that digital comics, the next perk is that Gregory is doing an art print of the laundryman in his own style. And it's amazing. I can let Steven touch on that. I'm so excited. It's so amazing to see someone else interpret your own work. It blew me away when I saw it. And then from an aspirational level, when I first started getting into comics, I was in my late teens and I picked up the Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo run of Batman at DC. It's really what hooked me and made this sort of an obsession. He has been kind enough to blurb our Laundryman book in his infinite generosity also and that was such amazing moment, how much Scott has given our book time and consideration. For the two people that have inspired me most, I feel infinitely fortunate and humbled to have both of them in some capacity involved in this book campaign. Blown away every day at how well we're doing. I'll answer in the same two categories as well. First answer, local, close inspiration. Just, yeah, Gregor Kamichak and Justin Curry. I can't actually remember if this was before Lyndon and I started making Infinite Universe. They had a course. It was like a two-week course, three hours each night. Lyndon's nodding his head. It was before we started making it. Two-week course on just how to make comics. I had already been doing tables at Comic-Con's already. And I had met the two of them already had some like good moments of just like feeling part of the community. And then going to this comic course, the way they broke down how to make comics, it's like something clicked in my head. And I was just like, Oh, that's how you do it. It's the simple idea of like writing a plot. Someone wants something complications ensue. And that all comes from them for me. Inspirational, just like these guys just doing it at a local level, 20 minutes away from my house and just knowing that it can be done. And these amazing people are in there doing it was huge for me. And then if we're looking at aspirational, someone I never met, I met the memory of him in my head, Jack Kirby. I tell this a lot, obviously never met the guy, but starting in comics and learning about how different professionals did it, how the legends did it, how the current people do it. I had heard whether it's true or not, Jack Kirby would usually pull off about 72 pages per month. Now, if that was the real number, I don't know, but but that's the number that I put in my head. As I like work on my style and as I get better and better, it's always chasing that carrot of like, well, he did 72 a month. So I've got to get there. That's like the unreachable or maybe reachable thing. And, and that comes from this spirit of Jack Kirby that's like in my Apple pencil or something like that. From a professional standpoint, you are both creative and talented individuals who have made comics together and are successful in that regard, especially now that your Kickstarter is well over the 100% mark. So professionally, you're successful in that regard. Do you consider yourselves personally successful? Very much so. I wouldn't even say I'm lucky. I've worked hard at that this life. I would say I am lucky for the things and the people that I have in my life, but I would say I'm personally very successful. I don't make that much money. I married a good woman and I have a great job and I have a great side hustle with comics and a really good friend in Linden. And I would say yes, but between everything I've got, especially including comics, I would say I'm I'm very successful. I'm very happy with that. And I share all of the sentiments that Stephen has always has already said, which is that, yes, I feel very successful both personally and professionally, but I also feel whatever level of success that 
I feel has only really made me want to push on and push for more and continue on down this road because I feel like I'm just getting started. And there's so much more that I would like to do and see and bring to the creative community that success begets success, as it were. The reverse of success is failure. How do you deal with your failures? I think that oh, it's such a cliche, isn't it? That failure is how you get better at things. And I'm not going to quote the Thomas Edison light bulb quote that everyone knows. You have to do something over and over again until you get better. That's the only way that you're going to get better. We like to think in the profession that talent and hard work need to go hand in hand. You can't just be talented. And that if you aren't failing at something, then you're not trying hard enough. Like I sounded very positive there saying I was successful, but that's my overall broad feeling in my life. You don't get that feeling every day if you aren't failing all the time. It's a matter of understanding failure as a factor in life, as opposed to a brick wall. I never look at a failure as me going like, oh, I guess I'm not doing this anymore. I screwed that up and we'll just do better next time. And that sounds super cliche, but that's so important. Not take that to heart. If I don't draw one day, or if I plan to have X number of pages done by the week and I only do half of that, yes, that's a failure. But it's just a matter of taking that as an example of what not to do and just don't do that going forward. You got to learn to move forward. Exactly how you have to live to, to feel like you're successful is to fail all the way there. The younger generation is looking at your work and they're becoming inspired to be creative in their own way, whether it's as a comic writer or an artist or a creative person in some way, shape or form. Maybe you've inspired them on that path. How can they inspire the generation that follows them? Great question. We'll go from my perspective as an illustrator. I was inspired by like Jack Kirby's pace, his ability to put stuff on the page. I was also inspired by seeing modern creators improve the acting of their characters on the page. In the last 25 years, the way characters look and move on the page has completely changed from like the McFarlane days to the Neil Adams. Yeah. What I would tell anybody to carry through with them to the next generation beyond them. Never stop doing the work. If you're not finished, a little six pager or just a one page. Like if you're not finishing it, you're not going to improve. Just imparting that advice at all times. If you're doing something like what I'm doing or big two superheroes action, stuff like that, even if it's super cartoony and these are all practical skills, having uh, an understanding of not even a deep understanding, but just understanding how the body moves. You can see when the artist knows and when they don't know. Even if you look at like Adventure Time where they don't even have elbows, there's a recognition and a relation that we have mentally with that character, because clearly that artist does know what they're doing with that kind of a thing. They know how that body's rotating and they've manipulated the human anatomy to do that. So practically those, those two things, they're very important for me. I think they'd be very important for the next generation Do the thing that you want to do. I had a really dark six months, took a step back from comics because I had this false idea in my head of what I needed to do to be successful. My wife was in school and I felt I needed to like already be where I needed to be when she's done school. So I was like, well, dude, you only have two years left. You either have to be a successful comic book artist or you've got to get a big boy job. You got to make money. And this was all from me. Very supportive parents, very supportive family. My in-laws are very supportive. That almost ruined me making that decision. Coming back to comics just made things, it's like a light went back on. So to inspire the future generation, always imparting that if there's something that you want to do, just do it anyway. Even if you're working, you have to work a full-time job, do it after work, do it before work, do it. 
so that you're happy. It's amazing how important that is. I'm going to take two pieces of advice that inspired me and hope that they help other people. The first, credit to Scott Snyder again, who said that you need to make the story that you wish you could find on the shelf because that's going to be the story that resonates with you and that you're going to do the best on and you're going to find your voice that way. The second piece of advice is from Stephen King, who says that you need to read widely. So I'm going to paraphrase that to consume widely. And that's how you're going to grow as an artist and you're going to be inspired by ideas and you're going to find the things that resonate with you, whether that's movies or I'm someone who likes to go to the theater and watch plays. I give a lot of credit in the way I write dialogue to looking at how people speak in theater. I think it is so infinitely important that you are consuming widely and that if you're not reading or watching movies or taking in other forms of media, you aren't going to grow as an artist just by working on your own stuff. So I would encourage anyone who wants to be a creative to watch the movies, read the books, play the video games, really. That's our modern version of storytelling now. Do it all. It's really important. If your life was a comic book or film or series, what would its title be? And what would its soundtrack be? Oh, man. Well, the last thing that I want to do is live in Gotham City or Metropolis or anywhere that there are supernatural things occurring. So I hope that my comic book would be titled Mundane and Slightly Boring. If I had to pick a soundtrack to it, I need something like relaxing. So give me some Sufjan Stevens, John Williams music. Unlike the worlds that I love to live in in my head, I definitely do not want to live in those worlds in real life. The title would probably be like, What's this guy's deal? The title of the book could be like a nice, beautiful, like take up most of the page. What's this guy's deal? And it would just be, it'd just be me taking care of my house, <laughs> hanging out, watching The Last of Us and just drawing. Somehow just being happy all the time with what's going on. And the soundtrack, it would have to be like a Hans Zimmer thing. Like I'd probably have to get him out, do something dark and ominous with like big bongs and, and, uh, well, imagine, a, imagine a series where Hans Zimmer music is playing, but no, nothing ever actually happens. Yeah. It's just a yeah. tension ramp yeah. up all the time. I'll be like on the couch in my office drawing. You'll see, I'm not even at the end of drawing the page. I'm like probably halfway through drawing the first figure, but you'll hear it start swelling up. And then it hits when I stand up and go refill my water glass and come back to the desk. So, <laughs> or, or an ominous dust bunny who floats or, along the floor or whatever. Yeah. Or something like that. yeah. And everybody assigns meaning to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lyndon and Steven, I do hate to say, but that ends this particular episode of two geeks talking. I want to thank you both so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having us. Like, uh, this has been a lot of fun. I don't talk about that moment in my life very much. So it's like, oh, I'm going to start crying here. So it was, a good, it was a good time. I appreciate that. There you go, Kurt. You had Steven open up emotionally live on the air. <laughs> uh, it's been, so it's been, yeah. Thank you so much for having us. We are, we've been three geeks talking today wow. rather than, uh, rather than two. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, to your listeners, you can go get a free comic from us right now. If you want campaign is at laundryman.ca. I was just going to ask, where can we find you and how can we support you? Laundryman.ca is our Kickstarter. <laughs> if you're listening to this after the campaign has ended, that website will redirect you to our normal website where we will be taking pre-orders or orders for the book. Because the campaign is now fully funded and we're in stretch goals, you can be sure that you'll be able to get your hands on a book. While you're on our website, which is infinitestudio.ca, make sure you grab our free comic. Steven did 20 pages of art for it in the better part of 24 hours. You can imagine 
a little piece of his soul floating in those pages. Uh, so we'd love for you to check it out too. If you want to be barraged by Kickstarter ads, you can find us both on Twitter and on Instagram. Twitter is just my last name, which is uh, R-A-D-C-H-E-N-K-A. And Instagram, it's the same thing, but my first initial in front of it. So L Richenka, but you can find all of that on our website too. Instagram is Steve Call Art. So it's my first name without the N, my last name, Art. And then Twitter is my last name and my first name, all one word. I'll reiterate something about the Kickstarter. If you want 800 pages of comics, you just need to spend 35 bucks and help us get to 6,000 because it's going to be really cool. Love it. Well, like I said, that ends this particular episode of Two Geeks Talking. You can, of course, find this interview and literally a thousand plus others because I've been doing this since 2008 on our website, tgtmedia.com or twogeekstalking.com. That's the word two, not the number two. But in reality, because I am only one person, our, my YouTube channel is more updated than my website. Sorry. It's uh, www.youtube.com forward slash C forward slash tgtmedia. And the podcast is back after 12 or so years because a host deleted my old podcast. So thanks a lot for that, you bastards. Anyhow, you can find it at twogeekstalking.podbean.com, but you can also find it on every single podcast streaming service that's available online currently today. Find the favorite one, favorite it, like it, share it, download this episode, and then tell Lyndon and Steven that, you know, you heard them on Two Geeks Talking. And as I say every week, everyone has a story to tell. It's up to me to help bring that out. Thanks for listening and watching on Two Geeks Talking.